um, when I was an employed optometrist, uh, went to my boss every six months with, you know, asking for an increase in my pay, but with reasonings why I should get an increase in my pay with statistics mm-hmm. and different things. I tracked the stats for the office. That was part of my um, job. And so I was really in tune to like what I was bringing in the office. And so, you know, I saw that go up and I would go in and negotiate every six months. And um, uh, so part of me feels as if um, some people, men or women, I don't know, um, to, to to the same kind of point that we discussed earlier of like knowing your, what your worth and your value and all of this, that, that some people have a harder time asking and negotiating, period. Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today, I had a really great discussion with one of my good friends, Dr. Ashley McFerrin, who practices out in Canby, Oregon. And uh, we talked about uh, women in optometry. We talked about the perceived wage gap. We talked about minimum wage, uh, not just within optometry, but but outside of optometry. We also talked about um, this idea of when your practice is firing on all cylinders, uh, ways that you can make sure that it's going to continue to to fire on all cylinders instead of hitting these kind of ebbs and flows in your practice where things are going very well and then things uh, are going not as well. And so um, I had a lot of fun talking to Ashley, as I always do. I, I hope you enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and please support those who support us. Today's show is sponsored by iCode Education. At iCode Education, we create and host high-quality, relevant, COPE-approved online optometric CE. We offer practice management courses from billing and coding, fee assessment, and chart auditing to clinical courses that focus on topics ranging from the anterior segment to the posterior segment to myopia control and neurological disease. Additionally, we partner with associations to help them provide their members and non-members with online continuing education at their own pace, on their own schedule. This allows our associations to generate non-dues revenue and provide a valuable service for their members who are allowed to obtain hours from distance learning entities. Check us out at iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. One more time, E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. You probably like Joe Rogan, don't you? I don't. No? Really? <laughs> um, no, I listen to kind of like the murder, whatever, cold case type podcast. I don't know. Or books on tape. Did you get hooked at cereal? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the, think- the most recent one was Dr. Death. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, man, that is crazy. <laughs> it, it makes you wonder, like, you know, it makes you wonder how many times that happens. You know, like, maybe not to that degree, but as you and I know, you've, you've seen, like, post-op stuff or, or patients that saw surgeons that you're like, what the heck is going on, you know? Right. And so when you listen to Dr. Death, you're kind of like, well, maybe this is not just abnormal maybe this happens more often mm-hmm. hopefully not yeah like you said not to that degree but it's uh, it's leaves you wondering it's crazy when you think so. about um when you think about dr death how um 
he got through his whole residency and his whole fellowship with like 25 cases or something like that. Mm-hmm. I know. I That was one of the most shocking things. I go, really? I mean, so that, I think what you're speaking of right now, that probably happens on a regular basis. That whatever epic amount of training mm. we think is done isn't probably done, you know? Hmm. I don't know. So, well, it's interesting because, you know, um, I've been so in like involved with all the scope stuff and really like researching like ACGME, um, like requirements for specifically with ophthalmology, like how many cases they need in order to graduate. And they always mm-hmm. say, well, that's a, min- that's all we need, right? That's a minimum. So they set like these minimum standards of like three Shalazians. And I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's something like five to 10 laser procedures, you know, like capsulotomies, SLTs, mm-hmm. PIs, something like that. It, it's a, it's a very small amount, amount where most of us that went to NSU did, did way more than those just during our normal training. And if we got like the Absolutely. opportunity to have a really good externship, we did way more. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you look at the data, they actually have to report minimums and maximums. And what, uh-huh. what's unusual to me is that like some people are graduating or finishing their, their residency. If you look at those, those charts with no experience in some of these like very common procedures. It's interesting. That, that is interesting. I mean, uh, you wonder if, if just certain people get to do, I, I remember at NSU, you know, it was like one day I had like, you know, in my third year, whatever had, excuse me, uh, I think three foreign body removals in one day. And it's kind of like spread the wealth a little bit, you know, and, but the way if you remember how the clinic would work there that you just take whatever chart comes up next and um, there you are. And I just happened to be the one to get them that day. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're right um, when you said, you know, as I think about it now more, I think that's probably the key is that, you know, medicine wants to chalk, to act like everybody has all this wonderful, really extensive training. But the, the reality is that, you know, in total, they, they, the majority of them may have certain standards, but there's people that are getting through that are slipping through missing those standards. And what probably usually happens, what protects the public in those cases, hopefully is the same thing that, that protects the public when optometry does procedures is those guys realize, Hey, I need more, I need more training because this is going to be something that's new to me. And, and they, and they receive more training. I'm hoping that that's and, what happens. Right. Seek that out. Right. We can hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So tell me about, um, Oregon right now. What, I mean, you don't have to get into some of the details, but just in general, what's, what are you seeing? What's, what's fun in practice? What, um, you know, what's, What's got you kind of excited in the profession? Yeah, I, um, well, quite honestly, just coming off of the board here after nine years, um, I'm sitting back a little bit and really getting back in touch with my practice um, after all the traveling I've been doing. And um, so, you know, honestly, I haven't, uh, other than a lane of equipment, I haven't bought any new equipment in probably two and a half, maybe three years. And so I've got a list and the Adapt DX is number one. Mm. Uh, 
<laughs> but I, you know, I was just been preoccupied with other things. So um, I'm back in practice more and have two associates. And um, I think that associates for me has been the key to pushing me forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a self-motivator, obviously, but uh, I cannot imagine for the life of me practicing without another colleague by my side, you know, one day a week I practice by myself and, um, it's boring, <laughs> not boring, yeah. but you know, you, I love to have someone to discuss cases with and throw ideas off of and get their insight on whatever it might be. And, um, so that is great for me, I guess, since I bought my practice, I've had at least one associate the whole time. So, yeah. So I think, the, um, I, I, I agree with you. I've never practiced. I mean, I've practiced days, you know, days a week when, when, when we were kind of still, well, we're always growing. Right. But when we were still growing and I had just got out of practice, there was a, a day or two a week where my dad wasn't with me seeing patients at the same time. And then when mm -hmm. we brought our associate. Now we always have two doctors in the practice every day and it is great. I mean, you know, if you want a, a, another opinion or if you, somebody wants an opinion from you, it, it, um, it definitely helps. And, um, yeah. I think one of the challenges that a lot of docs have, Ashley, and, and um, I want to get your insight in on it, is how do you know when you're ready to hire another associate? We've talked about this with a couple people, but um, in, in your mind, what was your take on how do you know? I think people yeah, will wait too I, long. Or I, exactly. I, um, if you have a busy practice, the associate is going to pay for themselves and in, increase the bottom line, no matter what, you know, I just, um, my view, I used to get really nervous when I wasn't booked out more than three weeks because good Lord, what's going to happen. And I mean, we're booked out about a week now. Uh, but when we get to the days, they're full on for the associates and myself. Um, I, I also kind of feel the, the biggest thing for me was I also never worked, saw patients, sorry, five days a week. And um, so when in the beginning, when I bought my practice, you know, there I was working four days a week and continue to get busier, but I always had that day to focus on growing the practice with, a, you know, admin type of day. And um, one of the things I think that doctors don't do is they, they're just, they feel like they have to see patients in order to make money. And I mean, mm -hmm. if you can take that time to uh, look at the big picture, your practice will grow, you know, leaps and bounds because you need to be able to uh, get out of the, the weeds of just seeing the patients and take a step back, whether it's spending a little time in your optical kind of observing or listening to what your employees are saying or taking, you know, going to different education or, you know, evaluating uh, new equipment and if there's a good ROI on it or whatever it might be. Uh, that is the biggest thing. I, I've never hesitated at hiring an associate or bringing on people for extra days. I, it's never not worked out because <laughs> they're busy and they see patients and that makes money for the practice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's, um, if nothing else, you know, I've, I've been able now, I've been fortunate enough over the last probably three or four years to just be seeing patients four days a week. But, you know, when I first got out of practice, I hustled, you know, I was seeing patients six days a week and 
if um, mm-hmm. if I if Jamie would have let me, I probably would have seen patients seven days a week just to try to get out from under the debt as fast as I possibly could. But um, but like I think there's a lot to be said even from just having time to reflect. You know, when I'm out of the office, when I'm, or I guess what I should say is when I'm not seeing patients, even on in the weekends. It's probably to a fault, but there are, I'm thinking about stuff. You know, I'm analyzing things, mm-hmm. not necessarily, um, you know, just crunching numbers in my practice or something like that. But I'm kind of thinking, you know, from from a standpoint of like, how can I approach this situation better? How can I take better care of this? What is, you know, re- like you're saying, like reading about, you know, what is what is dues to say about something, and um, mm-hmm. and I think just inherently those types of activities make your practice better. Even if you don't, even if you can't like directly track them or measure them or, um, you, you know, there's not a metric that you can look at, although those are important. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. can't and they're intangibles. Right. right. And I think, um, you know, talking to taking the time also out of the office to talk to other colleagues, whether it's at, you know, meetings or a local vision source meeting or whatever it is. Um, the other funny thing that I do, I literally look through um, every single trade publication I get every month. And, you know, I don't read all every article. I can't, obviously. But specifically in practice management, um, on pra- practice management subjects, I'll rip a page or two out of each one. And then when I have time to sit down and actually look through it, that kind of stuff just triggers ideas um, and, and allows me to see things through a different, you know, from a different viewpoint. Uh, so that's the, the constant, um, I'm constantly trying to learn from others. So a, you don't make, I don't make the same mistake or a mistake like someone maybe learned from or B just to, um, you know, I'm inherently just my personality type is a little bit kind of, um, detail oriented and not big picture. So I have to work really hard to do that. And I, I look to us for that, (laughs) like your podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, so I think um, uh, enough of that. <laughs> You're going to give me a bigger head than I already have. The, we don't um, need to do that. So one of the things I, I always, you know, you and I actually, um, I think we were, you know, when we were in school, we were friends, more probably friendly than friends, right? Like more like colleagues, yeah. I would say. And um, mm-hmm. what I really appreciate about you as I've gotten to know you even since school. Um, for those of, of, of you on uh, listening in, uh, Ashley and I um, went to school together. And then every year when I would travel out to Oregon to, um, to speak to the students, um, we would make it a point to, to have dinner. So we've gotten to know each other and we've co- sort of shared ideas back and forth for, I guess, 11 years now. And um, one of the things I've always really appreciated about you, Ashley, is that um, that you're sort of like no nonsense, you know, like we can kind of, you can kind of cut through. And that, that's sort of how I am as well Is I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's to some degree why the podcast works pretty well is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not really good at just sort of like BSing about nothing. Um, or, and I know it's not nothing, but like, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that can just like start talking to like a random person. It's not my personality. Mm-hmm. When, when I, um, when I want to talk about something, we can get right to it. And that's what I really appreciate you is, about you is that you'll, you'll get right to the point. And then you'll also, um, you'll also kind of cut through some BS. Like there's no like, woe is me with Ashley. Like, like in my mind, if I, if I'm sort of going to that, that place of like, 
um, well, I want somebody maybe to, to kind of be on my side about something. And like, I always appreciate that. It's like, no, you know, you're, you know that you're not thinking about things the right way, Chris. And I think that's, that's good. That's refreshing. Um, so what, where do you, where do you kind of get that personality? Is that from your dad who's an optometrist as well? Or what do you think? No, my dad's probably, I don't want to say nicer than I am. I'm nice, <laughs> but, um, he, you know, he's a small town, stayed in the small town and, and, and loves that. And, um, you know, I think for me, it just comes from inherently what my parents did teach me obviously was a very strong work ethic. Yep. And, um, you know, the, the harder you work, the more you're going to get type of thing. And, um, so I, and then, you know, my mother, my mother was a nurse and she went back in an RN, she went back and got her bachelor's and master's when my brother and I were in, uh, late elementary school, early middle school, and then started teaching at the local junior college in the RN program. And my mom basically went to school to help, went back to school to get a job to help pay for uh, my brothers and my education. And um, she busted her butt. And so I guess I saw that and she was up all night, you know, all hours of the night and still the PTA president and came to all my basketball games and everything. But um, anyway, the, I also just think there's not, I don't have time to, (laughs) to deal with all the BS. And, um, uh, I'd like to think that I do it tactfully at times, but I know when I was president of our state association, my board would tease me that we had the, you know, quit or they loved that we had quit. Um, but we're efficient meetings because no one wants to sit in a board meeting for three hours. Yeah. We can go through all of this and then, we're not doing work in a board meeting. We're talking about the big picture and strategic planning and all of this stuff. So the, all of the details can happen at another time. And so, uh, yeah, I just, that's just who I am, I guess. I don't know. No, I, I think maybe the way I said it at first, kind of, I didn't mean to throw you like it's, it's a bad thing or like you're cold. You know, I don't, I don't think that at all. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Um, but it is, it's efficiencies. And I think, I think that's what you, you know, um, I'm sure you're, you know, I'm sure when you're with patients, you have a different, you know, way about you, right? Like a, like you can be empathetic and sympathetic as I can too. And I can BS, but like, if I'm sitting down with my friends, I want to, you know, I want to pick their brains and I want to figure out what they're doing. And um, anyway, that's, I guess that's, that's one of the things I think that you and I have in common as I was kind of reflecting over, you know, our, our friendship over the last, you know, decade um, that I yeah, really, well, you know, it's- of it. It's interesting you bring up patient care because, um, you know, when I, when I first moved out to Oregon and I was um, working for another optometrist, Scott Nearing, who is one of my, is probably my main mentor other than my father, um, mm-hmm. he had a really um, very delegated practice kind of based, you know, he kind of based it on an ophthalmology model where our technicians did a lot of refracting and all this stuff. It still runs that way. It's a, fan, a fantastic practice. But, you know, I was seeing patients every 15 minutes, basically, and um, thought that it was like the best thing for me. And it was amazing. And I, you know, I don't have to refract. I like go in and look with a 90 diopter lens and a slit lamp and move on. And, and when I bought my practice, it was set up differently. And basically, we do 30 minute exams. And yeah. I will tell you, week one, I realized that I really actually thrive on sitting and having the conversation with my patients, not 
not only in a sense that it's better paid or for me, it's better patient right. care, right. but now that I've been at my practice eight years, um, they're my friends. I want to sit and talk to them, you know, and it's not always about eyes. I might get behind talking about their kids graduating from high school. Who knows? Um, so I, as efficient as I, <laughs> I try to live my life. Otherwise, um, that time with the patients is something that I've realized over the years that I am, I need and want. Yeah. How do you, so how did you guys, um, with, with your board meetings, that's an interesting concept because I do think when you get to a board meeting, you, you know, a lot of people will not look at, you know, my, my sense has been that, you know, um, you get to a board meeting and there are times where people haven't looked over any of the documents. Um, and so you're getting the board meeting to kind of start thinking about, and talking about, um, you know, so, uh, you know, a dis- deep discussion about things. How did you guys mm-hmm. change your board meetings to, to being um, more focused and more strategic as opposed to kind of lengthy and meandering? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had big changes over the past five years. So um, when Janet Baker came on to be our executive director, um, it had kind of already started before her, but, you know, we use Google Docs for everything, but and everything's linked and people are expected to review them before the meeting. But the biggest change we made is until probably four years ago, uh, we were basically just having board meetings at our meetings at our like state meeting in Gweco and our third party meeting. So three times a year. Mm-hmm. And so they could just go on forever. Cause it's, you know, you only see your board three, three times a year. You got a lot to talk about. So we now do monthly phone conferences, which is, you know, it seems like a no brainer, but it just wasn't the way things had been done up here. And, uh, that has, uh, dramatically changed the efficiency of the board and, um, uh, the decrease the length of the in-person board meetings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. so, so then when, when you think about like getting back into your practice, um, and, and kind of seeing, seeing more patients cause you're not traveling as, as a board member as much, what, um, like, I don't know if I'm going to ask this the right way, but what sort of hurdles or obstacles or opportunities do you think that you're going to be able to, or you want to solve as you've kind of gotten back in there, um, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, I, so for one, I have been putting it off for a while, but I'm going to remodel the office. We've, the, the practices, I bought a 30 year old practice, but the building was only about eight years old when I bought it. He had built kind of his dream office eight years before retirement and, uh, but has a real small optical and, um, the practice has grown a lot since I bought it. And I have no more frames on display. And so what started as me trying to remodel my optical to get more frames on display has turned into an entire office remodel. Um, So that's happening and that's sucking up a lot of my time currently. Uh, But that's exciting. And and boy, the staff are so excited about that. I think, you know, everyone likes to um, uh, good when they walk into their um, office and I, you know, on a daily basis, I still get comments of how nice the office looks, but you know, the carpet's actually 20 years old. And, you know, when you're, when you're there every day, you see things that maybe your patients don't see, but um, 
so it's reignited the staff, which has been great. And um, so that's number one. Number two is continuing to, I, I feel like I have a, uh, we're firing on all cylinders right now in my office and I haven't had any turnover in a long time, knock on wood. And um, that is a welcome relief. But um, in fact, two weeks ago, we closed for a day and did some training on Myers-Briggs. And then we did this, what the facilitator described as appreciative inquiry. And it's like really taking notice of why things are going so well right now. And, and I think, you know, we do, we, we get kind of in a habit of saying, talking about all the bad things. And uh, boy, I tell you, it was just an amazing discussion to have and, and writing things down, whether it's just everyone having a good attitude, whether it's these personal things or whether it's certain policies and procedures that we've put into place that we need to be sure to document so that when one of the wheels comes off, um, whether it's an employee leaving or whatever it might be, that we have this, you know, guiding document and uh, to, to go back to and to remind ourselves and give us a little credit for everyone working so hard and doing what it, my point of, I guess, saying that is continuing to foster staff training and staff, um, you know, we're like a family and uh, taking the time to acknowledge that and celebrate that. And um, whether it's going to happy hours or going to, Broadway musical in Portland, whatever it might be. Um, so that's kind of all the <laughs> bushy, no, you know. I think that insight is helpful because I think um, Ashley was probably, it was maybe it was Mike Rothschild I, I was talking to about this and probably somebody else. I think it might have been Aaron Warner as well. But, um, you know, this idea that like in general practices kind of, they fire on all cylinders. That's how mine is too. I feel like I get to the point where everything is just moving really smoothly. Things are going well and then something happens and then it's like, mm-hmm. what the heck? You know, why, why couldn't things just work wonderfully? And, um, and then you're sort of like picking up the scraps and putting everything back together and then here it goes again. We're going to, we're going to fire on all, all cylinders. But um, mm-hmm. I think what you're describing there is a way to try to keep it going and I, I yeah. have been trying to figure out how to do that. And so you're saying you just, you're, you're finding positive things um, on purpose. Is it just you or is, yeah. it other, is it other people in the practice? No, I mean, we, we were closed a whole day and we spent two hours as a whole group talking about all of this and writing it down and discussing it. Yeah. yeah. And it was facil- facilitated by, one of my patients who happens to be a former uh, HR person with Nike and with Marriott he used to travel all over the world um, and do these trainings and he does them for my, for my office now. And I think um, <laughs> to my point earlier of me not being a very good at the big picture type thing. And, and it's funny. So we did the Myers-Briggs um, personality for everyone in the office and every single one of my employees is a, I think it's S or T, whichever one is in the details, T maybe. And so I don't have a single employee or other doctor or myself that is good at looking at the big picture. So um, we, 
so part of that, I think, is the reason why we are so efficient and so good and mistakes aren't made right now because everyone, you know, dots their I's and crosses their T's and double checks and gets things done. Um, I'm a little concerned that it's starting to cause a little bit of paralysis in in forward movement because uh, and that's why I had this gentleman come in and do this training is that we've got to figure out why everything's going so well and then look forward to what the next, you know, what the next steps are. And we kind of left short of that on our training and we're going to do another one in October where we're going to really talk about bigger picture things. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) that's exactly the kind of stuff that, that I, I mean, that I get from these types of conversations on the podcast and then also offline is, you know, um, some of these other ideas of how to uh, kind of harness the positivity I was talking to uh, in, in our in our practices to make sure that they're they're working well, and I was mm-hmm. talking recently. It's kind of um, another thing that kind of strikes me about you is that um, there's a there's a a doc. Uh, his name's Matt Ward. He's a vision source just kind of outside of Des Moines, Iowa, and I've gotten to know him over the last few years. I was in Iowa uh, speaking a couple years ago, and and he and I um, sat at, at a table next to each other at a vision source meeting, and. Uh, just sort of struck up a friendship and we've kind of emailed back and forth um, every month or two. And he's got a big family as well, but he, he brought a, he bought a practice in Iowa and he was, at, we, were, we were having a conversation about how, um, you know, how you, about capture rates. And, and in particular, he was struggling with looking at capture rates for, um, for uh, Medicare patients. And, um, and he does a lot of medical um, and, one of the things that I was kind of thinking through is, and what, what I always um, think is important, and I think you do very well every time I talk to you, this is the sense I get. But, you know, I can be sort of, um, and I know you take care of a lot of patients who have medical conditions as well, but um, I can sort of be like, oh, the optical, you know, that's, we do a good job there, but that's not, that's not my realm, right? Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I think, um, is that purposeful on you? Is it just your nature that you like, um, the optical that you want to give it a little bit more love? Um, what, 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 what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have a large medical practice. You know, I inherited patients from a 30 year old practice and they've, the patients have aged along and with the practice and, um, So we certainly do a ton of medical, but you can't ignore the optical. I mean, it is a large source of the revenue. Um, me personally, you know, I, I think one of the things that is so attractive about optometry and specifically owning an optometry practice for me was um, that I really see three distinct areas in, in my head. And, you know, one being the medical and the caring for the patient, taking care of people to being um, owning a business and getting to use that part of my brain and, um, you know, set goals and all of that. And three, quite honestly, is there's a passion to it. And um, that's probably what keeps me interested. I mean, I like glasses and, uh, you know, one, a couple of things, a shout out to um, Felicia Manon. I forget what the position is. There's in vision source, there's six or eight of them across the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Perform- anyway, uh, I forget. the uh, practice performance director, right? She comes yeah, into your practice so, and helps out kind of implement different things you want implemented, different programs, if it applies absolutely. to Absolutely. Yep. 
the, the, the greatest thing, you know, we about 18 months ago um, redid our pricing on our frames and our lenses or updated us, I guess I should say. And she came in and met with me and my opticians and um, went over some things and she walked me all, all through that. And I mean, the great thing about her is, you know, we're SLR experts practice. We do all of these things, <clears throat> but she's employed by vision source. She's not employed by SLR and she's not employed by VSP or whoever. And she has a very, she has a vision source hat on and a helping you um, look at profit margin and things like that. Those, that position, that was amazing. So other people, I don't think, I don't think everyone in vision source knows that there's, those people are at their disposal. And um, so that was fantastic. But the other, so that's helped a lot. Um, but for me, yeah, the fashion side of things. And I think very small changes in the optical can make a difference, whether it's just one new frame line or, you know, um, when I bought my practice, uh, there was a, mostly all low end frames. And so over the years, I've just, you know, taken the lowest one out and put, you know, moved up a notch and kind of done that numerous times to just position ourselves as a, a nicer, more quote unquote high end optical. Yeah. And um, that works. And uh, in, uh, and I'm in a little farming community, which is funny. I'm, we're about, Camby is um, about 45 minutes from downtown Portland without any traffic, uh, but it's across the river and in, you know, surrounded by farms. And uh, so I have Pot to be farms. careful with my demographic. What'd you say? Pot farms. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. I'm sure. Camp doesn't allow the sensories in the in the city limits. So oh, really? they can they can restrict that based on cities. Oh Camp yeah, all of this. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, the town I live in too, Lake Oswego, they don't allow it either. Interesting. Um, okay, anyway. sorry, I got you off topic. <laughs> Oregon is a different world than Oklahoma, as it turns yes, out. That's right. <laughs> different kind um, of farming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. When I first bought the practice, I really felt that, oh, I've got all these, you know, more elderly population and I've got these farmers and they don't want, I was prejudging people really. Yes. And yeah. as we've pushed the fashion element along in the practice, people have been excited and come along with it and, and love it. So I think there's a lot <laughs> to that. You know, I think there's a sense that, you know, there, there is a sense among some people that, well, we can get the same thing online. It, it's the same. It's the same products. It's the same lenses. Obviously, you know, patients can think that. But the um, the if if you just let your optical be like that, then the answer is they can get it online, and they can probably get it less expensive online if you're offering the exact yes. same products, and you're just trying to operate on a really high volume. And um, and so you know, one of the things that I've kind of resolved to is that obviously, like we're the same way. Like when I say we kind of poo poo or I kind of poo poo the optical. I mean, what I mean by that is like, I don't want to be very hands on with it, but I realize that mm -hmm. like we've, we've molded our practice to be able to be okay without the retail side of the practice. But right. it's like complete. I like it's just, um, I, I don't want to lose it. Cause I think one, it's, it's wonderful source of, of revenue, but two, we do that better than anybody else does. And so patients are still going to want, even if, even if there's this ramp up of online, this and online that, um, 
I think from a, from a business standpoint, that really hasn't hurt us. In fact, it's, it's differentiated us even more um, from, yeah. because of the service that we provide. So that's key. Yeah, and I think that's, and you know, uh, we were actually at our state meeting last month, we were doing actually some of the SGRC members were there and um, we were doing a strategic planning for our advocacy group. And we, were, one of, we got to talking somehow about how optometrists are so freaking humble and like I think to a fault and so and when I what I say in regards to this is that you know you have to tell people why you're better like like you actually have to tell them and um, I I think you know optometrists aren't good at self-promoting whether it's themselves personally or their business and on the whole I should say and I think it comes down to our in general, humble nature. And because uh, it's optometrists are nice people and care about people and don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and all of those things. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you don't want, <laughs> you don't want a negative review, you know, you're, or, yeah. and it's not because, it's, and most of the time my experience is that when you get a negative review, it's not that you don't want it because it looks bad to the public because most of us who look at reviews at all um, are happy, you know, like we've got so many positive reviews that one negative review, it, it doesn't, it actually just legitimizes all the good things that people say, but you don't right. want a negative review because you just don't, you want people to be happy. You know, you want them to be happy exactly. with the that you provided and the, and the services and products you provided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, um, you kind of go like, oh gosh, what did we do? Or yeah. you know, you we're, we're pleasers. We want to we want to do things right. So yeah, I get that. You know, I think there there is a lot to be said for you know um, where where you get people that um, and I don't know. I mean, I I probably most of the people that I run around with, and you know, in terms of in my circle of people within Vision Source, and even you know our buddies from from optometry school. You know, I think. Mm-hmm maybe it's our training or, or what, but I think the, um, you know, patients want in a lot of ways, like there are optometrists, my experiences, there are optometrists that sort of like, um, that I've met that, that they kind of pander. That's not what I'm talking about with, with the guys I run around with, but they sort of like, Oh, you know, I just, I'll just, if I need to make a change, I'll make a change. Or a patient comes back and they're complaining about this. We'll just see him no charge, whatever, you know? And like, uh-huh. I think when you do that, it devalues, like we're trying to be nice, but it, it completely uh-huh. devalue, devalues the services that you're providing. And it also completely undermines your authority as the expert in the area. So like when, um, so the guys that, when I talk to people, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of our friends and um, a lot of the, the people within Vision Source that I know, it's like, once you get a command of, of knowing that what your diagnosis, what your treatment plan, you know, all those things are correct. And, and I, that's not saying that you're never wrong or that you never have to rethink something that didn't go the way you thought it would go. Right. I think we're okay. still very good at that as a profession where we know that there's somebody else always looking over our shoulder, always waiting for us to make a mistake. And so um, I, I think that also leads to us kind of, not necessarily second guessing or being more humble, but always just kind of taking a step back when things don't go the way you expect them to go. But once you really master the craft of our profession, right? The art and the science, 
I mm-hmm. think that the guys that are really firing on all cylinders are the guys that um, have enough confidence to be like, nope, this is what's going on. Um, yeah, you're back because of this, but, and I'm going to take care of that, but I'm not going to be apologetic because it costs you another copay or because, you know, you're yeah. going to have to pay for this, this thing or that thing. Um, where people really get into trouble and where I think they start disliking our profession is they um, sort of get beat up and they let people beat them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, this is not something I've personally struggled with because I, I do value um, our education and um, what, what went into that. And, um, and I think what can be hard is, you know, I went through this when I bought my practice that he would, um, the previous doctor would do follow-up exams and wouldn't charge patients. And so the first, you know, year or two, the conversations you have to have are just, it's, it's obnoxious and it's exhausting that you have to train your staff appropriately how to handle them. But now there's never a question. Like, you know, it's the whole culture of the practice changed and people do come in and value that. And they do call the office instead of their primary care doctor or go to the urgent care or, you know, um, because we've educated them, you know, on that. And, uh, you know, the other thing I was, you know, quite honestly, I was just talking with my dad. Um, hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to send it to him actually. <laughs> you know, in his, in small town, Oklahoma, like he still doesn't charge a contact lens fitting. And I just, I, you know, for the life of me, I've talked to him about it, you know, you know, more hours than I care to say. Well, I remember having a conversation with you about that probably the first time I I visited you, you know, when I was up in Oregon, probably even before that, I think we had that conversation. Probably when we were back taking Oklahoma boards, I think we had that conversation. Yeah. And it's a, you know, in, in my, my discussion to him or my, you know, thoughts back to him is that, you know, you're part of the problem devaluing our profession. You're doing it to yourself. And, uh, uh, I can say that because he's my dad, but, uh, it's, I, but you know, he's, I the, fully believe you should bill for your service. Yes. Yes. I agree. But I think, you know, on the other side of it, that it comes back to the fact that, and, and I know you know this and, and this is what you're saying, but he's got a good heart, right? And mm-hmm. he thinks he's doing the, the, a, a favor and he just, he's just doing it because he's like you said, he's a good human being. But I think you, right. what, what you've found is you can do that. You can be a good human being, but you can also, um, you know, show the value of, of what you're providing. Well, and it's just, it, I always go back to the, the idea of, have you ever gone to any other doctor and not paid a freaking copay? Yeah. No, I, absolutely yep. not. And nor does anyone argue about that. <laughs> do you know where that's born out of? Do you know why, that, why that's historically the case? No, I, so I don't, I don't know for sure either, but I suspect that since the origins of the profession dealt with, you know, if you remember back to, uh, I think it was Dr. Foster's class, or maybe it was Dr. Penniston where we went through the history of, of the profession. I suspect mm-hmm. that the reason that that's the case, especially for older docs is that, um, early on in the profession, you know, there was no charging for your services. Remember, mm-hmm. remember somebody got sued because they were, I can't remember, I want to say it was Prentice, but it probably wasn't Prentice, but somebody got sued because they 
were charging for refractions and medicine, you know, medicine uh, got all up in arms in that because they were, they were charging for a service as opposed to charging for the, the thing they were selling. And, mm-hmm. um, and I suspect that that, that history, albeit what, 70, 80 years ago, um, has mm-hmm. carried through with a number of, of, of those older generation guys that, that have sort of just done it the way they've done it. That's my theory anyway. I don't, I don't know anything specifically, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree. And it's, uh, it, it, the tides are changing though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think your, your testimonial is really valuable because I've had these conversations with people all the time where, you know, when I'm doing a billing and coding lecture, you know, the, the, the questions I get, um, always, they're always the same and it's always, well, how am I going to start? You know, I have a patient that has this vision plan and this medical plan and they come in with this, you know, this, and how do you manage that? And, and like, to me, to you, it's very clear. It's very easy on how you manage that. In fact, it's such a, it's such a uh, philosophy and the practice that it's permeated through the entire practice. And the only people you need to re-educate on about it are the, the patients who have never set foot in the practice before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but so, so many people are so scared to, to take that step. And you're right. It probably is the case that it takes like a year of just hardcore knowing this is right. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be about because on the back end of it, you reap what you sow, right? You get to take care of if, if you were, if you were just throwing in the towel and tried it for like a week or two weeks and just like, whatever, it's just easier. I'm just going to do it all underneath their, their uh, routine plan. Then, then you would now 10 years later probably feel differently about your practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and, and I, and I, to your point of, you know, people in our profession, maybe not loving uh, their, their job and career as much as you and I do. Um, I agree that that's, you know, if you don't charge appropriately and bill appropriately, it's hard to pay the bills and it's hard to um, find satisfaction, whether it's paying yourself personally or, you know, you can't be appropriately staffed as you're growing and, you know, whatever it is. Um, if, if you're putting in 60 and 80 hours a week of work and you're making pennies, I wouldn't yep. be happy either, you know? Yep. Uh, and, and it is, I, those it's, I was thinking when you said putting in the work in the beginning, it's like raising a child. Like you got to lay down the law early on in their life, yep. you know, and um, hope in, in the hopes that the behavior is set and there aren't tantrums and there aren't, you know, outbursts and all of those kind of things. Um, disciplining later on gets so much easier. Um, same thing with your patients. Yeah. You got to lay down the law. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it, it, it um, I think, you know, the, the other side of that is that you get worried that you're going to lose a patient, right? You, well, I don't want to lose mm-hmm. a patient, but the reality is, is that you, you're going to get the patients that um, maybe that you deserve over time. But um, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to see every patient that wants to see me, but I also know, um, and, and I, I don't know if maybe I'm too flip about it, but I also know that my time is really valuable and I've spent a lot of time both in school and outside of school um, thinking and practicing, right? And, and learning mm-hmm. from um, 
others and doing all these things. It, it's an, a culmination of, of years and years and years of, fin, of fine tuning and we'll never, we'll never fine tune it perfectly. Right. But, but you do that and that's the practice, but yep. that's worth a lot. And, and so I want patients that, that value that. And I think patients value it more when you, when you value it more. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that aren't going to, they're not going to, and they, and, and they can either not come back to our practice or uh, they'll be back when they, when they do see the value because they've been someplace else and haven't had the same care. Yeah. And I think um, this made me think of something I talk about with my boyfriend a lot as we're both small business owners. And, you know, if you're, say you're out at a restaurant, you're just like, you're observing how things are running or whatever it is. And we talk about this is that, um, I think it goes back to having a mission and like decide what your practice is going to be and sticking Mm -hmm. with it. And you're not going to be all things to all people. And like, I don't, I, I can't cater to people that want to spend, you know, $50 on a pair of glasses. I can't do that and keep the lights on. And so I'm not going to apologize for that. I just can't do it. So there are, there are places for them to go. And, um, that's the idea of like, this is what I want my practice to be. And this is the mission and you have to believe the mission and, and, you know, live. Yeah. And I think those, those conversations are easier when you really can, um, believe what your mission is That's right. and just stick to it. That's right. And I think that's true. I think, I think what you just said, the belief in what you're doing is the right thing. And and I really Mm -hmm. believe it's the right thing because if I were, um, if I were, uh, just kind of taking, if I were just taking any, any single plan that I, that I could get my hands on just so that I could have patients coming through the door. And I was just sort of making, taking the easy path when patients come in with other problems and not really focusing on those problems, and, um, and giving them the time that they deserve in appropriate follow-ups, then I wouldn't be taking the best care of the patient that I can. Because, you know, once you start looking for things, you just can't turn that off. Once you start observing, you know, during your examination, like, oh, I see, I see my bombing. I mean, the classic one I always use is you start looking for my bombing gland dysfunction and it is everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, so just, you, you start looking for those things. Well, um, I think it's just, and, but most people aren't going to look for those things if they don't know how the value of taking care of those things. And I think it right. just gives you better patient care. Right. And also if you're getting reimbursed $40, uh, like you can't spend the time. Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're, um, you know, actually you're a, a strong, successful um, woman. And I, I had this conversation with Belinda Starkey and, um, the, uh, I, I want to kind of pick your brain about it. And, 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 you know, do you think uh, you, we see a lot about like equal pay? And, um, so first of all, I, I'd love to know, you guys don't have any, uh, minimum wages, like, uh, $15 minimum wages in Portland yet. Do you? No, we do, not quite yet, but it's tiered up. We're on the second it's gone up twice and it's going to go up two or three more times over the next few years here. What will, what will it hit? So yes, I don't totally, I don't remember. And it's different in the Metro area versus where my practice is versus true rural, like Eastern Oregon um, areas. So it's, there's three zones and 
each, all of them are going up, but I, you know, the difference from what the minimum wage will eventually be in Portland versus say Eastern Oregon is, you know, still, I think a couple of dollars different, different. Yeah. What do you think about that as a, as a business owner? Well, um, it's interesting. I was kind of all for it, but the older I get, the less I, you know, (laughs) anyway, the, what I've really seen happen is that every person, no matter what profession they're in, their perception of their value is ticked up a notch and then another notch. When, when Um, those levels go up. Yes. Yes. Even if they're making more than that minimum level. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, well, you know, if someone flipping burgers at a fast food restaurant makes minimum wage, even though it might be $15 an hour, I'm in a, you know, an office environment. And so I should definitely make more than that. And, and I can't say I don't, I can't say I disagree with that, but it's across the board. Everything's just ticked up a notch. So that's interesting, especially as you have turnover and you have maybe employees that have been around for a long, long time that are perfectly happy making what they've been making and then hiring new people that are, you know, asking for over what someone that had maybe been there 10 years was making just because that's the perception of the value at this point. Do you think that it, 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 is it going to impact, I mean, you're, you're there, maybe you haven't seen it yet, but is it going to impact the way that, um, you know, businesses inside of Portland operate? Do you think that they are going to automate more or they're going to, um, or they're going to move when, when they're going to open a new business, they'll just move right outside of, of Portland proper to, to be able to have Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think time will tell. I mean, I certainly know, you know, the industry that's hit the hardest with all of this is the service industry and restaurants. And um, a lot of restaurants around here have tried to go to um, adding service charges or automatically putting a tip and it's for the front and the back of the house. And they, there's these, you know, the receipts will have this big explanation of all this, why you're paying all this money. And uh, there's been, you know, one in particular, you know, known chef up here that has a few restaurants tried to implement it in his, in his restaurants and got so much pushback that within, you know, six weeks it was done. Like, we're okay, we're going back to normal because, uh, you know, in, in the service industry, what our culture is tipping on is the quality of the service that we receive, not right. in, in our, in our entire culture, no one thinks that I'm tipping for how good my steak is. You're right. tipping on the person you have face-to-face contact with. And so um, right. you're paying for how good the steak is. Right? Exactly. That's, exactly. That's the face value on the menu. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's been th- different things that have been tried in places around. I still think with, I think it's three more increases still, but you know, that time will tell. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. interesting. I, you know, I, I, it's, it's probably coming, you know, other places. I, um, yeah, I, I just thought, I just thought it was an interesting topic and I think you probably get to, to see it. Um, more up close than, than I get to see it. I just get to read about both sides, you know, the, 
the liberal side and the and the conservative side about it, and then I get to form my opinion based on that. But I just wanted to see what you right. thought should be in there. And and one more you know comment on it, because you know I talk to my dad about this all, all the time, and back in Oklahoma, and you know I, the, the flip of it is that yes, the cost of living is is a lot greater out here when when my dad and I discuss about you know oh, yeah. they built their they built their custom dream home that's nearly 5,000 square feet and what I bought my home for. I mean, he's, they're just appalled at, you know, what you have to pay for a home out here. Um, so you, you do need to make more in order to survive. So I get that, but, um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a different beast. So. Yeah, it is. Okay. Last question. Then this is going to put you on the hot seat too. I, um, I don't know. No, if you and know. I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> I, I, don't I, think I don't have to. I don't have to. I, no, I just think it's really interesting. I, um, you know, I, I, so, you know, we hear a lot in the media about, um, about the, the wage gap between men and women. And then we recently, I don't know if you saw this, I think it was probably over the last three or four months now that um, there was a survey that some optometry students did that um, actually showed the same wage gap. And, um, um, and I, I, so did you see that? Do you have any thoughts about it? Yeah, I did see it. Um, what I don't remember is if it can, if it was looking at all full time or, um, you know, what if average hours or what that was, how that was looked at. Yeah. I don't remember either. Um, yeah. But the headline I, uh, was, the headline was of course that, that men make more than women in optometry. Right. Um, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, I personally, um, when I was an employed optometrist, uh, went to my boss every six months with, you know, asking for an increase in my pay, but with reasonings why I should get an increase in my pay with statistics Mm -hmm. and different things. I tracked the stats for the office. That was part of my um, job. And so I was really in tune to like what I was bringing in the office. And so, you know, I saw that go up and I would go in and negotiate every six months. And um, uh, so part of me feels as if um, some people, men or women, I don't know, um, to, to to the same kind of point of we discussed earlier of like knowing your, what your worth and your value and all of this, that, that some people have a harder time asking and negotiating period. It's completely uncomfortable. They don't want to do it and they'll just take what's given to them and move on with life. Um, so I think that's a, people have to kind of push, but, and, but you need a reason why uh, you should ask for a raise or ask for a certain, um, wage when you're, um, getting a new job. Uh, I also think that, I mean, for instance, uh, in my practice, um, my, I have two associates, uh, one worked three days a week for a long time, had her second child cut back to two days a week for a time. And, in two weeks, she's going back to three days a week. So I've allowed her to have this flexibility of doing part-time and, you know, two days here, three days there and all that kind of stuff. And so I think, you know, if you, I'm sure there's a study out there that shows, uh, 
full-time versus part-time, but I do certainly yeah. think many female optometrists work part-time. I mean, I know it in my own practice. I know it with all the other women that I've been involved with in OOPA. It is just a fact. Um, but you're not saying that's the thing is, is that to me doesn't seem like a bad thing. Like, no. To me, it's no. like, like if, if you're, you know, if you're a practice owner, so if you're Chris Wolf, the practice owner, or Ashley McFerrin, the practice owner, and Ashley McFerrin, the practice owner, you see, you know, we were trained the same way. We value our time the same way. You know, we, we take care of patients the same way. So we're basically generating the same revenue. Let's just assume that. Okay. But if Chris Wolf decides he's going to only see patients three days a week and Ashley decides she's going to see patients five days a week, then it would be intuitive that Ashley's going to be making more money, right? If all things yeah. are equal and vice versa. Yeah. And what you're saying is that, that, um, that many women are still just part-time optometrists in many, even if it's not all the time, portions of their career right. are part-time. Which I think is part of the appeal of our practice or of our profession is that you can um, do that and still make a very good living. Um, so I, I just don't know with, like you said, the headline I think is, you know, obviously to grab people's attention, but I didn't look into the details or uh, if it looks for hours worked or I think I know it, it separates it out by kind of age bracket kind of, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. But you know, yeah, I, yeah, it'd be interesting. interesting to see. I mean, as, as you and I both know, there are more females in optometry school now than males. And so as the, the shift, demographically in our profession occurs over the next, you know, decade or two, maybe, um, yeah. how the, how that changes. Well, and you know, I, I talked to, you know, I've talked to a couple people now that are, that are kind of, um, you know, Courtney Shea, who's in, um, who's right outside of DC and you know, that again, like there's this shift of what's really cool to see is that I think the perception from a lot of people um, I, I wouldn't say it's any of the, it wouldn't be necessarily like the leadership of the people that, that I like within AOA, definitely not within vision source that think that, um, you know, like that things are going to change dramatically. But what I think is really cool to see is that, you know, I'll meet all these um, just at different thing at different like vision source meetings. I'll meet these women. Um, actually, I'll probably try to have her on the, on the podcast. I'm going down to speak to her group this week in Georgia, Andrea, Andrea Nuff, um, and, uh, and Ted McElroy's group groups in Georgia. And, um, you know, I, I meet all these, these women and they're completely not the stereotype that you would think that people would want you to believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's, there's like, I mean, they, they are like all about private practice. They're all about scope. I mean, Belinda Starkey, all about scope expansion. I mean, they're like really mm -hmm. taking our profession, um, and doing what the quote unquote good old boys were doing, you know, right. for years and years trying to push the profession forward. So um, what I think is interesting, what I think is probably going to be way more relevant when you look at that data over time is um, and I've talked to, you know, a bunch of people about this as well, but is the um, private equities. And um, yes. I think that's going to have a bigger impact. Um, not probably the first sale of the practice, but I think mm -hmm. when they roll up um, on that second sale afterwards, that's where people lose uh, they, they lose any control they had over the practice. 
Right. Well, I will say in um, Oregon, uh, we are in, on our now fourth female president in a row of our association. Um, Dr. Dr. Pierce was here a couple of weeks ago for our state meeting. He goes, I don't think I know of that happening in any other state. So, um, yeah, you know, that's awesome. That's we're awesome. killing it, Chris. We're killing it. Well, I just think that I think the overarching thing is that is that um, you just want to have you know the future of the profession in good hands, and I think it's um, I think it's evident that no matter if those those hands are X Y or X X. They're, they're good hands because as long as they're, you know, as long as they, they kind of take care of, of the things that we've been, you know, that the, the, the things that have been given to us because of all the hard work that's been done before us. Before us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Ashley, I'm going to be respectful of your time, but we're definitely going to have to do this again. If I, if I can get you back on and, um, and ask you more, more, uh, interesting questions, but thanks a lot for being on the, right. on the, on the, Thank you. Keep up the good work. Yes, you're welcome. Hey, before before I go, um, I will be in uh, in Gweco, and I'll just ask you now if we can go to Andina uh, for dinner one night. Oh. We'll figure. Out. <laughs> but Andina's my favorite. Done. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> okay.